Welcome to Women Leading the Way radio show, where each time you'll hear from successful women CEOs, executives, and professionals, where we'll discover how they do what they do to be successful in business. We'll be interviewing women who have overcome big challenges, women who have incredible stories of lessons learned in dealing with adversity. We'll even interview women who have started and grown successful organizations and women who are C-level executives with unique talents and positions. Our goal is to bring successful businesswomen together to share how they're leading the way in business today. Good afternoon and welcome to Women Lead Radio, brought to you by Connected Women of Influence. I'm Mary Van Dorn, your host of Fighting Sex Trafficking and Sexual Exploitation. Our show topic today, though, is can traffickers be held liable in civil courts or more than that, who else can be held liable in civil courts? And I'm really excited today because our guest is Robert Simon, who is a co-founder of Simon Law Group, a.k.a. Justice Team, and acts as a primary trial attorney since launching the firm with his twin brother and best friend Brad Simon. In late 2009, it has grown from a boutique office with just a few people into a nine-figure annual practice recognized by his peers throughout the country. With offices in California, Arizona, and Texas, he has been voted Trial Lawyer of the Year several times by his peers. Robert is also co-founder and chairman of Justice Headquarters and Attorney Share, a community of elite lawyers and a case marketplace to help them succeed. He is also dedicated to making the legal space fun and also founded Law de Gras, Bourbon of Proof, which I love that name, and the Justice <laughs> Team Network. I want to welcome you with big open arms, Robert, to Women Lead Radio. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. You know, I'm honored to be a dedicated dude. <laughs> you are quite welcome. Um, I'd like to first open this, the question up. You're a trial attorney. How does a trial attorney become involved in, I'm going to say, helping to protect okay. human sex trafficking yeah. victims? Yeah, so uh, for trial attorneys, so we handle things on the civil side. So there's, you know, two different kind of realms here. One's the criminal side, which, you know, they're putting people in jail or prison for those consequences. We handle the civil side, and I, I truly believe the way we can make the world a better, safer place is by hitting the bad players in the pocketbook. And a lot of times by us doing the work in the civil courts, it opens up the eyes to, you know, to the uh, district attorneys to the attorney generals, et cetera, because, you know, we're essentially doing work for them to open up, do discovery and find out what's really going on. Um, so, yeah, I think that's how a lot of lawyers can be helping by, you know, putting a spotlight on all these bad actors and, you know, putting them out of business. Now, in my mind, before we spoke, I was thinking that the criminal prosecution would come before the civil, but that's not always mm -hmm. the case. Wow. Not always the case. So usually, generally, that should take place. Usually, the criminal goes first. But remember, in the criminal section, they're not. They're usually going after, you know, for lack of a better term, the pimp, the person that's actually the individual, right? They get the individual, mm -hmm. they put that person away, but it doesn't stop the behavior nationwide because what ends up happening is the people that are really setting the table for these bad actors, the hotels, the motels. Sometimes even the banks that are taking all this cash, 
until you shut those down, it's going to continue to happen. And criminally, you know, what are they? It's such a higher standard. So, in a criminal, it's um, beyond a reasonable doubt you have to hold somebody accountable for. In civil, it's essentially preponderance the evidence, or more likely true than not. So it's easier to have a pathway to hit people in the pocketbook than to put them in prison. So wow. that being said, yeah, um, you know, we do all these cases on a contingency fee, so we're not, you know, we don't see any recovery unless, you know, we get compensation for the victims. And a lot of victims don't know that, you know, by speaking up and being a plaintiff in a lawsuit against these bad actors, they could one, have a, you know, a monetary compensation, but two, it empowers everybody else to speak up. As we've seen, once we've talked to a lot of what we call survivors at our firm, um, mm-hmm. they found a lot of other women that were in the same exact situation. You know, we track them down, talk to them, get more pieces of the puzzle to put together. And it's very eye-opening, you know, just what we've seen the past few months and the stories we've heard and just how horrible it is um, and how often they've asked for help and just people literally turn the other way and say, I'm making way too much money to do anything to help you. It's crazy. Wow. Mm -hmm. So your introduction to this, was it somebody that had brought your attention to a victim? Yes, there was. Yeah, I've tried cases in this realm in, in the past and, Want us for the state of California to give out a work called the Street Fighter of the Year Award, and myself and another trial attorney, Ibiri Sec, helped a you know, 14-year-old girl who was being sexually assaulted, and held the company liable that claimed they didn't know what was going on on top of the perpetrator. Um, and they changed their policies and procedures for that specific case. And in the past, you know, six months or so. Um, as we've been taking, like what we're doing with Justice HQ and really taking it national about, you know, helping lawyers, mentoring lawyers so they can help these, these individuals on a scale across the country. People reached out to me that are um, like a case for women, like people that are actually out there talking to these, these, these victims and survivors all the time. And they said, would you be interested in hearing some of their stories to see if you can help? And, Recently, there's a little tweak to the law. The federal anti-trafficking um, statute kind of changed some of the language, modified it slightly to pretty much say that if an entity knew or should have known, which we call notice in the legal world, that they may be liable. So it allows us to really peel back the onion and take a look at, you know, the person working the front desk at Red Roof Inn that obviously knows what's going on, and do they... Are they mm-hmm. kicking up cash to the parent organization? You know, when they're doing these foot traffic studies, for instance, like, you know, when you put up a Starbucks. Right. People do all these studies to say, hey, how much foot traffic are we going to have? Or if we put a target here? Well, they do the same things with hotels and motels. And, you know, you can't say you didn't know what was going on when you, you look at these usually places right off the freeway, right off the highway, low-density areas, not a lot of foot traffic, and they're charging more rates than, like, the montage in Laguna Beach, right? Oh my. Like, they, they, yeah, yeah, this is what happens. And all of a sudden, they have the highest foot traffic running through these hotels and motels, and they they claim they didn't know, or they just didn't want to look, you know? Mm-hmm. So, crazy. How these survivors that you work with, mm-hmm. do they have to testify in court, either criminally or civilly, in open court? So criminally, no. So criminal, they're not the 
a part of the lawsuit. So the district attorney or attorney general, um, the U.S. attorney's office may or may not call them. They don't have to. And a lot of times they don't, but it's always better to get the testimony from somebody there. In the civil cases, mm-hmm. if you are a party, if you're the one bringing the lawsuit, not just a witness, if you are a party bringing the lawsuit, you will likely have to testify or settle once. Mm-hmm. One, if, if you're a minor, there's everything. There's a lot more restrictions. But just let's just say somebody's aged out, mid-20s, they come forward. Since you're a party, you'd have to likely give a deposition under oath. It will likely be sealed um, if it does go to trial. And I, I think there's no way that any of these bad actors would ever want to go close to a courtroom. I mean, I hope they do because that's where like, I get to shine. Yeah, that's my favorite part of trial. But I think that um, – I think it'd be silly to, to do that. So the short answer is yes, they very, very likely would. Um, I am of the strong hope that after peeling back this onion um, with the first batch of these, that maybe mm-hmm. some of these players want to want to come to the table and maybe compensate some of these victims and change everything without having them to have to relive yeah. um, all of it. So that's usually the hardest part. I mean, it's, that's why we call them survivors to empower them to tell their story because a lot of times it's you have to relive all of this. A lot of times people think if you suppress and forget, it's a lot better. Um, mm-hmm. Many times I've had clients tell me that having their deposition or trial testimony is one of the most therapeutic things that they could have, that they ever did. Um, really? So yeah. Mm-hmm. To get their story that's, out there. To, you know, yeah. That's really – that's – really encouraging for me to hear that because mm-hmm. I have talked to several survivors and some of them don't want to say anything. And and then again, there's those that are out there on stages and talking to people and you know, bringing more awareness in the communities and what have you. So I guess it, it there, it's just like anything else. There's a big difference in how everybody handles it. I guess it depends yep. on what their road to recovery is looking like. Exactly. And it does. You know, a lot of people have moved on. They have, you know, they have families. Yeah. They don't want to, you know, it's, and, and I get it, right? That's, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't say anything in that circumstance either. Um, but yeah, but I, yeah, I still you, hope, you know, with a, I think there's, I think the stats are like there's over a million, you know, women being trafficked at any time, just Americans mm-hmm. in America. You know, mm-hmm. if we can take even 10% of those folks that speak up, that should, that should change things, you know. Yeah, what's the um, statute? What's the statute of limitations on it right now? Okay, so federal um, sex trafficking statute is 10 years. So it's 10 mm-hmm. years to come forward, and then you're dealing with federal law and federal courthouses, um, which is a lot different. So there's two different types. There's federal, federal court and state court. State court generally tends to be a lot more favorable for consumers, victims, survivors, um, just generally because in your federal court, you're at the – kind of the mercy of an appointed judge who may or may not have political affiliations and is as bad as people think it can be. But you, if you do the federal one, that's your fallback. But there are states that have different varying statute of limitations. Like in California, they can, you have up until the age of 40. So all the way up to the age of 40. So if you file in state court, they have similar laws. I'd like to pursue those on just a general like negligence theory, a premises liability theory that they knew or should have known. Mm-hmm. That way you get all the hotels and motels, insurance policies on the hook to cover these things. Oh, and by the way, you don't think – I, I, 
I want to see what these insurance companies were underwriting, like these, the risk when they're insuring these hotels, mm-hmm. right? Because they probably had to think about something like this when they were insuring it them. Should, right? <laughs> you know, we'll see. Um, but yeah, that's California, Arizona has an open statute. Like, so they can come forward anytime. Um, my conversations with folks in California and political office were the hope and belief that they'll open up it indefinitely as well. Um, but there's some states that are just so archaic that they have like a one or two year statute. So you have to use the federal trafficking mm-hmm. one. So, yeah. And I would imagine the sooner they come forward, the easier it is to gather evidence and put a case together, right? Yes. Uh, evidence, you know, things, the well goes dry, right? The, the evidence gets mm-hmm. lost. Um, but in a lot of these, we're finding that they've found the, the pimp. Pimp has been prosecuted. Mm-hmm. They, but nobody bothered to tell the victim that they had a civil right to do anything. So sometimes mm-hmm. that evidence has already been preserved, right? So oh, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah, so you go back to the DA that was there. They pull out the file. They've done a lot of evidence. But they, you know, they're not there to hold the hotels, motels, you know, civilly mm-hmm. liable. They're there to put away this bad guy. Um, right. So that's why, you know, leaning on them and their help, it's it does kind of a discovery for you. And that's where you can have the, you know, if, if you're politically tied together, if you know any people in office, it's always good to talk to them because, you know, if you have the state kind of helping you do this, what we call discovery part to figure out, you know, they can hide from trying to hide documents during a lawsuit. They can try, but it's much harder to to hide things from the federal or state government when they come into your home office and <laughs> take your <Yeah>. computers. <laughs> so, yeah. So, what type of evidence is it that you would need from What are some of the things yeah. that you're looking for when you're prosecuting, when you're or not prosecuting, but when you're going after hotels and motels? That sort of So there's yeah, so there's the, here's the um usually the, there's with these hotels motels they have the franchisee and franchor franchisor model. So somebody else owns it through an LLC, say a Motel 6, then there's the parent company. So the first one is how how is the parent company also going to be liable if they really knew nothing, right? So that's where you peel back the onion, talk about these foot traffic studies, money getting kicked up, all this type of things to figure out they knew or should have known. Mm-hmm. That's one. And how are we able to do that? That's through the discovery process. But the evidence that I mean, those are financial logs. Those things can be found. The initial stuff is it's pretty much um, corroborating the survivor's story. And, you know, we, it, we, it, every one of these conversations is a couple hours long at first. Sure. To go through everything. I mean, it's just heartbreaking to hear. Like, but go through that and as much information as they can give us, you know, who working the front, who are the people that are involved because – we, we have to hire investigators to go find these people, to talk to them. What did they know? Did they talk to management? Did management know? Because we're trying to get people on the hook that actually have the financial means to compensate these folks so that the bad behavior stops. Because, I mean, every time one of these the guys that are the quote-unquote pimps, they don't have any real money laying around, right? There's, they're not mm-hmm. going to do anything. And mm-hmm. what is a hotel, motel care if that person gets locked up? They just, the next person comes along and 
they take cash from that person. So True, true. And I imagine similar in criminal cases, if you have people that are, like, transporting these women in and out of the, hosp- in the hotels or motels or whatever, or soliciting on their behalf, well, I guess the soliciting would be pimps. And, or patrons. Yeah, with John. Like yeah, patrons are patrons quote right. unquote Johns, right? Uh, yeah. Yes. That's what happens is they're they're the ones that are like we were, you know, one of our teams is on with a few survivors today and they were telling the exact same story where they literally have a person standing outside the door mm-hmm. while the stuff's going on in the room and they're just bringing one in after another after another. It's in plain view of everybody working at the hotel motel. Mm-hmm. So you could see mm-hmm. it all. They they actually told us that they would remove the phones from the rooms so that nobody could try to make a call or get saved. They, you know, never had any, you know, go in there for weeks at a time. Nobody's cleaning or doing anything inside the rooms. You know, that's what we're hearing and seeing. I want to pause right here because I want to come back to that, but I got to pause for a quick commercial. It'll just take me a minute. Um, We're going to take a quick moment just to recognize one of our sponsors and partners. And Women Lead Radio is brought to you today by Connected Women of Influence and our partner, Microsoft. Microsoft's mission is to empower every person and organization on the planet to achieve more. Microsoft believes technology is a powerful force for good and are working to foster a sustainable future where everyone has access to the benefits and opportunities created by technology. Microsoft believes technology can and should be a powerful force for good and that meaningful innovation can and will contribute to a brighter world in big and small ways. Thank you for your support, Microsoft, and all our sponsors. Thank you. All right, so now we were talking about, if I go back to kind of in my mind, I'm picturing this scene of these person in the hallway, and like you say, so it's not only just the motel and the guy at the front desk. These are people that are soliciting and, and whatnot. I imagine they can, that might not even be their pimp, but any of these people involved. What about even like these people that know the rooms aren't being cleaned and they know skip these rooms all the time? All of these people are contributing to yes. the crimes, right? Are these people and, and brought all, in as witnesses or, or prosecuted or are they more, they don't have anything. It's, it's, they don't really have anything to give. Yeah, those are people that are going to be witnesses or, you know, you can name them as well in the lawsuit and get them to cooperate, but... But, yeah, I mean, to curb the bad behavior, it's a money trail. I mean, it's, it's like anything else. If, 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 the, if the money dries up, the issue part dries up. But I also think it's a, an awareness thing. Um, I mean, I was learning from one of our um, investigators that a lot of these survivors are learning sign language. And if they put an H and a T out there, if they see law enforcement at an airport or walking around, they're trained to now know that means I'm being trafficked, mm-hmm. human trafficking, and they can come and shut it down. Um, I mean, we're hearing crazy stories of like somebody setting a like a diversion so that the the pimp gets distracted, and one woman just running and jumping onto a Greyhound bus and literally closing the door as it pulls away, and the guy's chasing after. I mean, this is how they're getting out of these things. Wow, I mean, this is the situation they're in. Yeah, it's. Yeah. So when you when you do take these establishments to court what are some of the compensations that the survivors are being awarded yeah yeah so this is where i like to do these and you know for the victims individually so it's going to be based on an individual Mm -hmm. basis and a lot of times Mm -hmm. we're just going to be at the mercy of how much either insurance policies are being covered or how much money that these i mean we'd like to take blood out of a turnip right i mean i think they're really Uh bad actors and i'd like to 
put them out of business and give it all back to to the victims. Um, yeah, that's I mean that's the short of it. But there's like there was one against Red Roof Inn that resolved for a handful of women's confidential, but I know that that was in the eight figures. But I don't know how many survivors they had for that specific issue at mm-hmm. that specific chain. I think it was mm-hmm. in Georgia. Um, but yeah, I, I think it'll be significant. I do. Because they've made wow. a lot of money in these. Yeah, I mean, these these corporations, so, they have a lot of money. So, but these, I'm going to say women, I know they're not all women, but these survivors, mm. they can be, they can get awarded for their medical, dental, mental treatment, health treatment, right? Any kind of... All of that. Like yeah, lost all wages. All of that, and then they have... Uh, Go ahead. Well, the biggest one, the biggest one's actually going to be what we call the human harms, the invisible injuries, the pain and suffering, however we want to mm-hmm. label those damages. Those mm-hmm. are the biggest one. Usually in these cases, when I actually take them to trial, we end up waiving the economic, what we call the economic losses, the hard numbers like the medical bills, et cetera, because they, mm-hmm. they quell in comparison to the numbers we ask a jury for, for mm-hmm. what happened to them. Like, um, like one of my friends just tried a case. It was, this was happening in a school in um, in Riverside, and the jury awarded that one individual for what had happened to them. There was so much notice; it was crazy. But that one person for 150 million. Now, wow. it's not going to be like that in every case, and that's going to sure. you know things will change, things will happen. Um, we had one recently against the school, which we settled for seven million. Um, but it, things have to you know fall into place. These things, everything's going to be different and variable. But that's what I mean. Whenever you're asking for, you know, fifty to a hundred thousand for future medical care, and you put it next to mm-hmm. a number, it's like a hundred million. You don't want the jury to gravitate towards that lower number. Just as just this is a yeah. trial lawyer tactic. That I mean, I'm just sharing with you on radio, but um, that's kind of the way that I see it. Because we'll ask for like literally every single penny that these companies have, and see what happens. Right, and and it doesn't matter what she has lost; it's what they've made on her. Exactly. Off of her. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah. Um, I know you have to hop off in a minute, but I would, I, first of all, I want, it's a horrible thing that's happening in our society, and I know it's a growing epidemic and it's horrible, but I am so glad that there's people like you out there fighting for these survivors and trying to at least get some compensation to make their life a little bit right. Um, how can people get a hold of you? I know I'll I'll give your Instagram handle and website and whatnot, but how can they reach out to you if it's personal that they really need to speak to an attorney? Yes, we have uh, one that's called an email catch-all that's survivors at justiceteam.com. Um, also, they can just DM me in my Instagram handle too, which you'll provide or go to one of the <laughs> yeah, networks that we do. At Planet Fun mm-hmm. Bob. <laughs> if you hit up at Planet Fun Bob, I'll be able to get back to you. But, yeah, that, and the other thing is people can help in various ways, and I think this is a big team effort. We can help civilly in the civil courts to curb bad behavior by making the bad guys pay and go away, change policies, et cetera. People can help. There's literally people with boots on the ground that are going into these these rings and houses, breaking them up and, and saving kids. The, the, the really good mm-hmm. way is helping with foster kids. Um, 60% of the people being trafficked it's at any point in their life were in the foster system. It's it's a staggering number. Um, they prey on individuals that don't have a support system, that don't have mentorship, that don't have people around them, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's what's happening. So, you know, if you if you start 
I just think that's a societal thing. If you if you really help, you really want to help kids and and change society, you start when when they're young, and you you mm-hmm. should be able to give everybody a chance. And these kids that are not given a chance are the ones that are being taken advantage of the most. Um, so yeah, people can help help in all kind of different ways. Yeah, they just have to care and let them know that they care. To start somewhere That's in right. their own community, in their own kids' schools, right. in their kids' friends, and what have you. So I want to say thank you very, very much, Bob. I appreciate you being on our show and being our dedicated dude for the day. And a special thanks to all our listeners, both in the U.S. and internationally, as we are an international show. After our show today, you can listen to Women Lead Radio on all subscription podcasts, specifically Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. It has been my sincere pleasure to be your host today, and thank you so much again, Robert. I appreciate you. Thank you all for having me. Have a good day. Women Leading the Way is produced by Connected Women of Influence, the premier private membership organization where like-focused, business-to-business, executive and professional women connect, collaborate, and cultivate a vast network of high-level affiliations, resources, and professional relationships. For more information about Connected Women of Influence, please visit our website at connectedwomenofinfluence.com.